Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, and all the believers devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many, many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Father, we thank you for those that are being saved. Thank you. Even as we rejoice today, we saw again evidence of those that have been saved through water baptism. Thank you, Lord God, for those of us that have been and we're believing for more people even today to get saved, Lord God, and that we would be devoted to you and devoted to one another in Christian community. Help me, Lord, as I preach your word and help us all uh, as we receive it to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here through this text that the believers formed a community and the Bible says they were devoted to this community. Obviously, they were devoted to the Lord and to this community where I got the name of this this um, series. So last week, I showed you the purpose of a Christ-centered community and the impact it has on the world around us. We saw the impact it had, imp- impact that it had on uh, the, the, the world around the New Testament church when it was brand new. And that it's still having today. Three things. The, the church is unified when we're in community. The Lord is glorified and salvations multiply. Now, this is the reason. Again, not only am I preaching this message, uh, uh, you know, preaching the scripture to you, but I'm also casting vision and trying to encourage you why we do life groups, why we have life groups here at Family Life is so you can experience the power and impact of a Christ center, spirit filled community. We can have the same impact around us and our lives, our family, our community, our, our, our work and our school. So last week we looked at that. Uh, we looked at the impact it has. Now I want to, we talked about fellowship, right? You know, fellowship, uh, is, is, is really a close mutual relationship and participation in life together. The Greek word is kononia and that's what the word means. And so life groups, as I talk about that for years, we've said this, people ask, well, what is a life group? Well, it's a small group of people doing life together. That's the best way to describe it. It's a small group of people, smaller than the amount that gathers here at these two services on Sunday. Small group of people doing life together. So as we look at the word fellowship, today I want to talk to you about the function of fellowship. What is the function of fellowship? How does it work? How does it, how does it operate? How, how should we go about it? Well, I mentioned last week that the early Christians in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for services as usual. They met together daily. They cared for each other daily. They searched the scriptures daily, and then they increased in numbers daily. So let's look at these in more detail and see how we can apply them to our lives and the community of believers today. So first of all, sticking with fellowship, number one, you must be faithful to fellowship. You know, a lot of times, uh, uh, many times, we talk about being faithful to the Lord. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever used that statement before, that we must be faithful to fellowship. We know we got to be faithful to the Lord. We know we need to serve Him and only Him. But are you faithful to fellowship? Acts 2, 44 and 47 says this, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes. See that twice it says they met together, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all 
the people. See, the believers, they would continue to use the temple for their place of, of uh, assembly and ministry, but they also met in various homes. And it's very similar. That's that's really a good picture of even life groups. We meet here weekly. Sometimes some people buy twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays, as a church, as a whole church. But throughout the week, people meet in various locations, some in homes, some here on campus at various times. And so it's, it's the same thing. You see, there's two different levels of, of ministry and fellowship. It's the corporate setting and then the smaller group setting. See, these early believers had frequent contact with each other. And that's very important as believers. Remember, their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not just a weekly routine. You might have missed that last week. I want to encourage you again. You may want to write that down. As believers, our faith should be a day-to-day reality, not just a weekly routine. Some people go to church weekly and they check off their Christian box. But that's never the way that Christ or the Bible intended for us to live our life, and our walk with the Lord. Amen? Last week, we looked at how the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, which included prayer and worship. Now let's look at the significance of eating meals together. So it said that they ate meals, they shared in meals, and even the Lord's Supper. And seeing the ancient Near East eating together reflected a common commitment to one another of deep fellowship. A meal shared together was a symbol uh, in a seal of friendship together. See, these meals were at the core of their faith because it established communion between the believers and between the the believers and God himself. In Judaism, eating some of the offerings of worship symbolized these things, especially the peace offering, right? So it was more than just a, hey, let's get together and grab a bite. It was very meaningful. It It was significant. It was at the core of their belief, at the core of their faith and their walk with the Lord. Now, the New Testament church moved from eating some of the meat from these offerings to, to eating with what's known as the Lord's Supper, right? What we know as communion. We take communion together. Why? Why did they stop having meals where they would eat sacrifices together and move to communion? Because Jesus was the last sacrifice that needed to be made. When Jesus died on the cross, they didn't need to sacrifice animals anymore. So now they went from that to celebrating with bread and wine. They would commemorate, celebrate, and remember the Lord's Supper. And by the way, just as it was back then, for us, I mean, you know, a lot of us get together and, hey, man, let's grab a bite or we'll have these big gatherings and what. And we may eat with people that we really don't know that good. But when it comes to communion, if you ever notice, when we take communion together as a church, I'm always encouraging you to take it in reverence and to remember that it, it, it symbolizes communion with one another as well. It's showing we're in unity, right, as we're fellowshipping, but it's also that we're in communion with the Lord himself. So with all that in mind, Let's look at what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in the ESV, it says the day. Some translations, what it's talking about is the day of the Lord. He says, as you see the day of the Lord drawing near, even more so, we should be fellowshipping with one another. See, fellowship with God must never be selfish. A lot of people say, oh, I serve God my own way, by myself kind of thing. But again, I'm hoping you see in, from these, these passages of Scripture, that's not how God intended it. We must fellowship with God and with other believers. Now, it was obvious, the writer of Hebrews, when he wrote this, there was people that had gotten into the habit of not meeting together. They had stopped meeting together. But he commanded, by the way, The New Living says, do not stop meeting together as has been the habit of some. This is not a suggestion. 
I'm going to say this again. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a command to be in fellowship with one another. So some people say, I've heard people over the years say, well, man, I could, I, I, I could serve God by myself. I'll still go to heaven even though I'm not in church. I'm like, yeah, you can, but you're being disobedient. Because the Bible tells us that we must be in fellowship to not stop meeting together. Now, check this out. This is very interesting. It's interesting that the emphasis here on meeting together is not on, on what the believer can get out of the meeting, but what he can contribute says, let us stir up one another and encourage one another to good works. So the emphasis on fellowship, when we come to church on a Sunday, are you in a life group or when you would another believer? It's not just what you can get out. It's actually what can you contribute? And that's why I've also heard over the years, been in ministry a long time, maybe out of this church and even other churches where people have come here. And I've even tried to encourage people that say, oh, yeah, I'm praying about coming over here. I'm like, man, you need to pray about it. Maybe the Lord, you know, wants you, still wants you there. That's your church, your pastor, whatever, because I hear this a lot. Well, we stopped going to that church just because it wasn't meeting my needs. I wasn't getting anything out of it. Well, my question would be, what were you contributing to it? Maybe your needs wouldn't get met because you wouldn't contribute it, right? You reap what you sow. Maybe you're not reaping because you're not sowing and contributing to the fellowship, the local church, and the kingdom of God. Amen? See, faithfulness to fellowship, again, encourages us. I love the word provokes us to love and good works. And one of the strong motives for this faithfulness and fellowship is, as I mentioned, is the coming of the Lord Jesus again. And that's what it says until knowing that that day's drawing near. Now, it's important again. I mean, it is important weekly services. But again, both life groups are important to meet with others, but also meeting together with people outside of even a church setting. Remember, the word fellowship means a close mutual relationship and participation in life together. Fellowship is spending time with other believers while you're doing life together, even outside of the context of an organized life group. Now, it's very important. I encourage you to do that. We've we got the campaign going on now. Again, I would encourage you. There's flyers in the lobby. You can go to our app and our website. Check out all the different life groups we have to offer. Uh, and and, and we, we have a lot. We, we have a variety wherever you're at in your life. Male, female, single, married. As I was talking to Brother Earl earlier. They got a marriage life groups, a life group. And so, but I want to encourage you. Just as important as weekly fellowship, fellowship and life group, but also you know, doing, doing life together. You know, I think about like how we, you know, we were with some families for the Super Bowl party, a, a Super Bowl party on Sunday. Yeah, we had fun. We had a good time. We played some, you know, cornhole and some ping pong. And of course, ate a lot of food. Come on, somebody. Watched the game, you know, watched some of the game and stuff. But you know, even in that, like we're having fun. We're going over there with no agenda just to have fun. But as the night went on, we began to talk about the men's retreat. And who was coming on the men's retreat? I found out there's some guys coming that don't even come to our church. Come on. Amen. So I was excited about that. Just going through life and fellowshipping, things like that to encourage one another. I think about, man, I can't tell you how many times, even in, in, in my favorite recreation, while, while we're in the duck blind, I've, I've, I've prayed my pastor friend and our uh, brother Glenn, man, there's been many times we've been sitting in a duck blind and his phone rings and it's somebody at his church and that needed prayer and he'll put on speakerphone and we'll pray together for that person. My phone has rang. And I've prayed for you, somebody in the church, even another brother uh, that goes to another church. Uh, earlier this year, uh, we prayed together. I remember one time, me and Blair, we were leaving with, with uh, we were leaving uh, out of the marsh with Brother Jim, and and uh, we were talking about a family member of Blair's, 
and, and Brother Jim's like, man, let's pray right now. Man, we were praying in the glory of God, filled that truck on a dirt road coming out of the marsh. Amen. And just part of a regular fellowship of having fun. Another time, me, Jim, Brother Jim and Pastor Todd after a duck hunt, uh, actually Brother Glenn uh, that I was mentioning, he needed some healing in his body. We got back to the camp and we were all done. He had his own oil. We anointed him with oil and laid hands on him right there, believing for a miracle and a healing, right? See, that's fellowship. It's doing life together with other believers, whether it be church, life group, you know, you work, you, you, you play, you know, connecting with other believers and doing like even while you're having fun. It's still a mutual participation in life together. Are you all tracking with me? So I want to encourage you though, to jump in a life group if you're not connected, which I'm going to get into further why it's so important. Secondly, we need to continue to care for other believers. First, we need to be faithful to fellowship and two, continue to care for other believers. Look at Acts 2.45. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Now, everybody take a deep breath. I'm not about to ask you to sell all your stuff, okay, and give the money away, right? So see, some people still holding their breath. They ain't even laughing right now. They're like, you sure, Pastor? That's not, no, that, that's not what I'm about to ask you to do, okay? See, at the time, communal living, that's what this was, communal living, they had a community where they shared everything, was voluntary, but it was also temporary in the Jerusalem uh, church. It was not any kind of forced socialism or communism, any of that. No, uh, no other New Testament church practiced communal living to the extent that the Jerusalem Christians did. And nowhere... In the New Testament, does it command the, the church in general to do so? And actually, Acts doesn't refer to this kind of living after chapter 5. But the believer's willingness to sell their property and personal possessions to help others in need demonstrate true selfless Christian love. Even though that's not, that's not commanded of us to do, the principle is still holds true. They were willing to sell whatever they had to help others in their time of need. Now remember, they also thought that the, the, the return of the Lord was very Im- imminent. They thought it was coming like, they're like, we don't even need any of this stuff because Jesus is coming back soon, right? And so that was part of it. But you just see the heart behind it. They sold what they had to help people in need. We also see in Acts 6-1 that there was a daily distribution of food for widows. They were handing out food daily, which caused some division. And we see about that it was a powerful story. But they were they were caring for the other believers in need. And I'm just so blessed to be, I've been a part of this church for over 20 years and now the honor to pastor this church that I've seen this many times in our own fellowship. I've seen where people in this church where somebody had a baby or somebody was sick and in the hospital or whatnot. And, and man, the church rallied around and cooked meals for them and brought meals to them or, or helped clean their house or cut their grass or something like that. Or also I've, you know, heard about and found out that there was people in the hospital and life group leaders. Speaking of being connected to a life group, I I had one in the first service. I was honoring him because it's happened many a times where we find out from a life group leader that somebody was in the hospital. They already went to the hospital, laid hands on him and prayed for him before we even knew about it. Come on, somebody. That's caring for the believers. Now, as pastors, that's our job. We do that and we'll still follow up with them. But really, that's how the church should run as well. They're not, they're not waiting. These people aren't waiting for, for the pastors to go. They're like, no, I found out I'm going to go pray for them, love on them, visit them, care for them. Amen. Again, we do the same thing, but, but also that's part of caring for one another, whether it be spiritually through prayer, where you're caring for people or visiting them, helping them, you know, whatever the case may be. It could be financially too. Many times I've heard again, and it blesses me, even about this weekend, I found out that there are a couple men in this church that paid personally for other men to go on this retreat. 
They found out that they couldn't afford it. They didn't call the church to ask, hey, can you pay for them? They took money out of their own pocket and said, hey, I'm going to pay for you, brother, to come this weekend. Amen? That's caring for one another. That's, see, that's the spirit behind the communal living that we read about, you know, in Acts right there, right? It's just like, hey, you have a need. I have extra that I can help you with, and I'm going to help you. Amen? So, again, even though the Bible doesn't command that, I want to encourage you, though, if the Lord tells you to do something like that, you need to do it. Amen? Most of us sitting in this place right now, we have extra. We have surplus that we can bless others. And even if you don't, sometimes I'm telling you, if the Lord tells you to help another believer or somebody you don't even know, you can't ever outgive God. Amen. I'm just reminded of this story, and it's so true. And this may seem simple to you, but I had just got saved. I mean, I'd been saved, man, probably not even a year. And I was going to, I was, I was planning on going to an LSU football game and I had, and it was like 60 bucks, I think, or something. I had my money aside, but at the time that was like, that was my little bit of extra money, all my bills and everything. I didn't have a whole lot. That was my little fun for the weekend. And I was planning on going that weekend and I was going to buy a ticket with that money. And I never forget, my wife and I were, were serving uh, in the youth ministry. We weren't even married yet because I was still living in my little apartment. I remember that, but we were serving and helping in the youth ministry. And during worship, some need had came up and the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to give that money to that lady. And I'm like, Lord, I want to go watch the Tigers play this weekend. Come on. You know, like, and I felt it strong. The Lord said, no, you need to give that money to that lady. Like you can still watch the game at your house. It's going to be on TV, right? It's just, just like, all right. And I really felt it strong. And it was a big deal. You know, I, I, I mean, I still enjoy watching football, but I was a huge, huge LSU fan back then. And I'm like, all right, and I obedient, I was obedient and I did that. And don't you know, I did it. And regardless, it was great. I'm glad I sowed the seed. And then like LSU ended up like losing really bad that day. It was a frustrating game. My friends came back all mad. They didn't have fun at all. I'm like, man, you see that? I think in that obedience, the Lord spared me as well, right? I didn't waste my money. I didn't get frustrated or whatever, you know. So I'm just saying, I know that's small, but I'm just, I'm just giving you a principle, right? When the Lord tells you to do something like that, listen, do it. Amen. It's worth because listen, the Bible calls us to bear one another's burdens and, like I said, to care for one another as believers. That's part of the function of fellowship. Yes, it's meeting together, it's praying together, but it's helping each other out as well, which leads to the next thing. Not only this is very important as we fellowship. Number three, don't stop searching the scriptures. Don't stop searching the scriptures. Now, this is more than just Bible reading. I'm not, I, I encourage you to have a daily Bible reading. I've been doing that for over a month. This goes deeper than that. It's more than just, just reading. It's searching the scriptures. I want to go a little bit into further, a little bit further into the book of Acts for this next point. Acts 17 verses 10 through 12. It says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans uh, were of more notable character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures. I love that word. Examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. See, the Apostle Paul went to the synagogue in Berea and discovered a people, a group of people who were keenly interested and studious in studying the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, it says they met daily to search the scriptures or to examine the scriptures to determine whether or not what Paul was saying was true. These Bereans were open-minded, eager to learn, good listeners, and diligent Bible students. And as we can see, because of that, many of them got saved, right? They were the Bereans, and the, they were in the synagogue preaching. So some of these Jews and prominent Greeks got saved. And not only did they get saved because of their, 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 their constant searching, examining, and studying of Scripture, 
there it resulted in a firm foundation of their faith in Christ. All of us should be like these Bereans and faithfully study God's word daily, discussing it and even testing messages that we hear, including my own. I want to challenge you. Pastor Ty used to say this all the time. Don't just take my word for what I say on a Sunday morning. You go find out for yourself. Go study it. Go examine the scriptures yourself and see if what I'm saying is true. I challenge you to do that. I want you to do that, right? And speaking of life groups, that's another way some of the life group leaders have done it. If you lead a life group, you can do this. Take an outline from a Sunday morning and use that as your life group. Go through the scriptures and the points we talk about on Sunday and y'all discuss it and study it and examine it and see what it means even further and deeper for you. So you should do this personally, but also Get in a life group. See, we have many, just like we have a marriage life group, we have quite a few Bible study groups where that's specifically are going to just go through a book of the Bible or they'll study. Actually, two different guys I found out are going through a whole book or just line by line through the Bible, studying the scripture, searching it and examining it. I'm telling you how much this will help you grow. I know when I first got saved, I was a part of a life group that helped me to grow spiritually. I can remember we would we would start out in worship, and then we'd, well, we'd have a little bit, we'd hang out, we'd eat a little snacks, and we'd worship, we'd pray, and then somebody always had a message from the Bible. And you got to remember, I'm just getting saved. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was starting to read it, but man, when I'd hear stories, like I, I, this one sticks to me. You know, a lot of you have heard the story, or read the story about uh, uh, whenever David fought Goliath, and, and when he was going out, Saul said, okay, if you're going to go out and fight him, put here, here, use my armor. And when he went out there, you know, his armor was too big and was falling off, and David said, no, this stuff don't fit me. I'm going to get my, my sling and my stones and I'm going to go handle this dude, you know. And I remember just the, the guy leading the group was talking about how like, man, you can't, you can't wear somebody else's armor. You can't do what God's calling you to do acting like them. And I was just man, like, man, I was amazing, you know, like I had never seen that or heard that before. And that's just a Bible story that stuck to me and how that applied to my life. That was in a life group as we was examining the scriptures. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you. Part of, of, of being devoted in fellowship is you need to personally examine Scripture. And by the way, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I still get around other pastors and leaders, and we go through Scriptures, and we talk about Scriptures together and continue to grow in my faith and as a leader as well. Amen? So listen, don't ever stop searching the Scriptures. I prayed with a couple that have been married 39 years and been saved for 33 years. And we're just, they were just praying this morning about wanting to, you know, just get back where they used to be. And so I just want to encourage you, you know what, if you keep on seeking the Lord, staying faithful to the Lord, staying faithful in fellowship, stay searching the scriptures, you don't have to go back to where you used to be. You can keep going forward. Amen. You don't have to fall off if you keep staying faithful. Amen. So don't ever stop searching the scriptures. And the fourth and final thing I want to encourage you with is to contribute to church growth. You need to contribute to church growth. Remember, like I said, Hebrews 10, not meeting, not neglecting meeting together is what that context is what you can contribute. If you remember last week, I, I ended the message with talking about how the Lord multiplied salvations back then, and he's still doing so now. From these two verses of scriptures, Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said and were baptized, come on, some were just baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all. And then verse 47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, the book of Acts outlines the church's growth 
after Pentecost. In the early days, we see numerical growth. Only 120 believers were present that day in a prayer meeting seeking divine guidance whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the number of Christians increased to about 3,000. And then many more believed the preaching of Peter and John. And the number grew to about 5,000 and then continued to grow. We also see geographical growth. We know the church did not only was confined to Jerusalem. We know the message spread to many different regions uh, as it continued on uh, to, to grow. Again, it's, it's, it's dialogued in the book of Acts. There's several reports of church growth, as I mentioned. But this week as I was reading, because I'm, I'm reading in my daily reading, I'm going through Acts. And then, of course, I've been studying these passages the last couple of weeks uh, to share with you. But as I was reading this week, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, one of these accounts of church growth jumped out at me. And I'll show you why in a minute. Look at this in verse 31. 931, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Well, you might want to underline that or highlight it in whatever you have in your Bible. It became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And again, with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, I want you to know this. It was a time of peace for the churches, but it wasn't a time of complacency. Hey, just because you have peace doesn't mean you have to have, you have to be complacent. Because it's still, they were growing both spiritually and numerically. Now, of course, again, we see they, they were growing with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, as I showed you last week about Jesus. But this verse also says that the church grew stronger. This was it right here, because the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. There's a direct connection. The fear of the Lord means living in reverence to God. There's a direct connection to us living in reverence to the church growing stronger. Because when we live in a reverence to God, when we live in, in, in fear of the Lord, we begin to live in holiness, in purity, in righteousness. And as we increase in holiness and purity, I believe the anointing of God increases on our life. And I believe that the church grows stronger and stronger. So I want to challenge you this morning to continue to, to live in the fear of the Lord, in a reverence of God. Y'all, that's why even on Sunday morning when we worship, I'm always encouraging you to lift your hands, to bow your hearts, to, to, to focus in on the Lord. We're not just coming over here to a concert to sing songs. We're worshiping Almighty God. The king of the universe, the king who created it all, the God who created the heavens, the sea and everything in them, hung the stars and knows them by name. That's who we worship in on Sundays and every day, right? So we should have a reverence for the Lord, right? There should be a reverence for him. And as we do that, it says that the church grew stronger as they lived in the fear of the Lord. Let's go back to Acts 2. Again, there's another reference to living in the reverence, uh, a reference to the reverence of God are living in, in the fear of the Lord. It says it a different way. Look at Acts 2.43 again. It says, A sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs, I like how the Amplified says, attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. They performed miraculous signs and wonders. Why? Because they were living in awe. They were in, a, in reverence, in awe of what the Lord was doing. My beautiful bride taught on this uh, at one of the prayer meetings last month during prayer and fasting. You know, when you're living in awe, you're amazed at what the Lord's doing. And I believe when you're in amazement and you're in awe, you also have anticipation. And when you have anticipation, then faith begins to arise in you. 
Faith rises up in you believing like, man, look at what God's doing. And I'm believing for him to do even more. By the way, I want to say this because I've heard a couple of people. I didn't plan on addressing it, but I will. There's been a couple of guys that have been here for many, many years. And y'all used to come to encounters. There used to be a men's encounter. And a couple of guys I mentioned to, they said, oh, man, I can't wait, you know, for the encounter. I said, well, it's not an encounter. It's a men's retreat. The format is going to be different. And I've heard it just a couple of guys be like, oh, man, well, listen, it doesn't matter if it's an encounter or a men's retreat. If God's word is being preached and we're praying and we're worshiping, come with expectancy this weekend. It don't matter what we called it. We could have called it a camp out. But if the Lord is there, if there's the fire of the Holy Spirit, not just a bonfire, come with expectancy, right? I mean, yes, those encounters are powerful. And some of you are like, what's an encounter? You don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's okay. So you won't, but there's some guys that have been here. And yet God used that format for many, many years. And I believe he still will. But you know what? If we come in expectancy, gentlemen, and in awe, and just like, man, I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do in me and through me. Again, what can you contribute that weekend? Amen. This weekend. So I want to encourage you with that. So we, we got to have an expectancy of faith. But you know, when you in awe of the Lord, it causes expectancy of faith to rise up. But you know, the opposite is true too. The opposite is true. Remember, doubt and unbelief have an opposite effect than what awe and reverence does. Look at Mark 6, 1 and 6. He went away from there, speaking of Jesus, and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Let me stop right there and say, you're not going to see many miracles if you're offended. I'm going to just leave that right there with you. Then Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his household. So he was not able, watch this, so he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Either we could be amazed at what the Lord's doing or he'll be amazed at our unbelief. Think about that. You know, over the years, and it's, it's like it's ramping up over, over the years, even people that were in spirit field or maybe more faith driven churches have, have started like doubting that God's still doing miracles and, and believing that, that miracles can still happen today or the gifts of the spirit and, and things like that. And I've talked to people and said, well, man, if God's still doing miracles through, through other people, why don't we see many of them? I'm like, I still see them. We, I saw miracles just last week. Mariah and a couple of people that went to Pueblo last year could tell you, testify to some miracles, right? And I begin to think about this. The reason they're not seeing miracles is because they're full of doubt and unbelief. They're not going to see miracles. They're not going to be a part of them because they're steady kind of side eye. And whenever God's moving, they're like, is that really the Lord or is that just people being fake? Is that maybe the doctor just missed that scan somewhere? No. Come on, saints. We need to live in, in awe and reverence of the Lord and believe that our God is still the God of miracles, that he's still doing miracles today. I believe he wants to do miracles in here today. 
You know, as a matter of fact, and I, I didn't I didn't get permission, but I talked to a lady before the service who just found out that she had cancer. And I told her that I was going to we we're going to pray with her. And I encouraged her. I just been stirred. And I just told her, hey, come get anointed with all. Let us pray for you. And let's believe the doctor gave him a game plan. But I said, let's believe that next time they go back in there to try to get a scan on that thing is going to be gone. Amen. And she's she's joining her faith with me. And I'm believing, and we've seen that, right? Told you about the lady who had blockage in uh, two or three arteries. And, and look, even Heath, Heath's another testimony of that, right? We've seen, just last month, we've seen miracles happen. So I want to encourage you, because let me, let me end with this. I'm going to close with this. We all contribute in some way. Everybody in here contributes some way. If you're listening to me at LPCC, we all contribute to the kingdom and to the fellowship in some way. Will you contribute in reverence or faith, or will you contribute in doubt and unbelief? All of us are contributing. Which side would you rather be on? I'd rather be on the side of reverence, awe, faith, and believing that God's about to do something, right? See, that living in awe, as my wife said, it's not only in awe of what God's doing. It's like, man, what's he about to do? Man, God's about to do something in here. I'm believing at this altar. We're going to pray for you in a minute that God wants to do something big, wants to give you a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your body like this sister. Maybe you need a miracle in your relationship or your finances or mentally or emotionally. Some people are bound up with grief or fear or anxiety. Come on, God wants to give you a miracle today, church, and we're believing with you. Even if you're watching us from LPCC, God wants to give you a miracle. So let's be devoted to the Lord and our church community. Amen. The way we do that is by being faithful to fellowship, caring for other believers, Searching the scriptures. Don't we have to stop searching the scriptures and contribute to church growth. And come on, remember, contribute reverence and faith. And remember, reverence comes with true reverence comes living a holy life. Holiness, purity, shunning and turning away from sin, right? Desiring to live like Jesus lived. As I close, I read this just this morning. And, you know, I always give an opportunity for people to be saved at the end of every message. I read this just this morning and it just I, I love it. And felt like the Lord showed me to, to wrap it up with this. Acts 15, 8, 9. This is actually Peter addressing the Jewish people about some things that were going on in the church. And Peter says this. He said, God knows people's heart. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He's talking to us, to the Jews, he was saying. He made no distinction be, between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Now, let me stop and say this, because I always, we've said this, you may have said it, said it you may have heard it being said i don't know if just our culture here in south louisiana or not but a lot of times when people make mistakes and they mess up they're like yeah man i did that but you know but god knows my heart and they try to say it in a way like god knows that it really but but i have good intentions and i knows my heart so the truth is is the bible says that that god does know your heart but jeremiah 17 it says that your heart is deceitfully wicked and Acts just proves it because it says that their hearts needed to be cleansed, right? So he does know our heart, right? So a brother that I was talking to after the first service, I mean, I always would tell uh, uh, unbelievers that when I'm witnessing to, it's like, hey, the good news is God knows your heart. The bad news is God knows your heart, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's true, right? Right? He knows where you're at. That's the good news. But he also knows See, it, the, Jeremiah says it's deceitfully wicked. That's why I think people use that little trite saying, God knows my heart. They think that they're doing good. They think they're good people. But apart from Christ, none of us are good. Apart from Christ, the Apostle Paul said, even our good deeds are like filthy rags. And if you go look up what that means, it, it's, it's, not, it's very filthy and dirty and disgusting, right? And so we need Jesus. 
Look what it goes on to say. We need to be saved. Verse 11 says, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all thankful that are saved today for the grace of God? Grace of Jesus. See, what we did deserve is punishment. Is eternity separated from God. Because the Bible says in Romans that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, people think they're a good person because, oh, I'm better than the, than the murderer or the, 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 the whoever, the drug dealer. I'm better than them. Yeah, you may be, but we all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's standard is perfect. And we can never live up to that standard. I mean, you can do good deeds apart from Christ, but you can't be saved apart from Jesus. We must be born again. We must repent of our sins and turn to the Lord. And ask him to save us. And it says that if we save us and we, if we, if we believe and turn from our sin, that he will cleanse our hearts, right? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. So we need him to be cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Come on, even if you're watching, uh, today, just out of reverence for the Lord again, I say that every Sunday. I want you to reverence God. It's a, this is a holy moment, y'all. This is a serious moment. This is not just something I do to, cause I don't have a better way to close out the service every Sunday. No. This, your eternity is in the balance. That's why I do this every week. Literally, your eternity is in the balance if you don't know Christ today. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised to even make it home today. This is the most serious thing you'll do all week. It's to make a decision. It's to surrender your life to Christ if you haven't been saved. If you say, Brandon, man, if, if I wasn't promised today, I mean, if I wasn't, if I die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I'm saved. I know my heart's wicked, man, and I got some evil I've been doing. But I want to be done with that today. I want to turn to Christ and be saved. That's you. Just slip up your hand. I see your hand, sir. This gentleman slipped up his hand before I was even done. Ma'am, I see your hand over here. Young people raising their hand. Praise the Lord. Anybody else over here? More hands going up. Praise God. Come on, that's you. Come on, lift up your hand. Be bold. Amen. Come on, be bold. More hands going up. Amen. Anybody else? You say, Brandon, that's me. I need to be saved. I need to be born again. Right here, I see you in the middle. Come on, more hands still going up. I need to be saved. I want to repent of my sin. Come on, it's not just praying a little, a, a little token prayer. What you're going to pray is that you repent of sin and surrender to God. Come on, if you raise your hand, I want you to raise both hands up as a sign of surrender. Come on, be bold. It don't matter. Nobody's looking around, even if they were. Come on, just be bold today. All right, everyone with their hands up. Let's pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. We're all going to pray this together. Come on, hands still going up right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Lord, I know that I've sinned, and I repent of my sin. I turn to you, and I surrender my life to you. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power and help me to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, can we rejoice? Celebrate with these many all over the auditorium. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, if you prayed that prayer and you're really in faith, believe that God is washing your heart clean. Hey, listen, you need to get connected in fellowship. Go check out our life group. 
uh, on, on the way out. Go to our website. You need to get connected. Amen. You need to grow. Search the scriptures. Let somebody disciple you. Come alongside of you. Fill out the connection card in the chair in front of you. Bring it to the info center. Hey, would you rest of you stand up with me? Can I get the pastors and the altar workers to come down here now? And come on, y'all. I've been stirred. I've been stirred just in faith and believing for miracles. As I'm looking at Heath, he's like, right? I can't convince that brother God don't do miracles. Right, Heath? Amen? Come on, he experienced a miracle as well in his body. And God is still in the miracle working business. And listen, I said this a couple weeks ago. God don't just do miracles for the sake of doing miracles. He does miracles to reveal himself to people. He does miracles to show you that he's real. And to show you that he loves you. And that he has a great plan and purpose for your life. And the greatest miracle that could ever take place is being born again. So if you just were born again, that's the greatest miracle you can ever experience. Amen? But God, God has others for you as well. Come on, if you say, Brandon, I'm believing for a miracle. In my body, in my marriage, in my mind. Come on, don't even think about it. I want you to slip down the aisle and I want you to come up to the altar right now. We want to lay hands on you. We want to believe for you. How many of you say, Brandon, that's me. That's me, man. I'm believing for a miracle. Come on down. Come on down, ladies. And Jim, come. we're believing for breakthrough. We're believing for miracles. And I'm going to get you to pray with me as these begin to make their way down to the altar right now. Come on, I'm going to get you to believe with me out there. You remember? We want to stand in awe, right? Come on, how many of you expecting that, that God will do a miracle at this altar today? Let me see your hand. Come on, you say, Brandon, I'm believing with you. I'm believing with these saints, with these brothers and sisters right now that God wants to do a miracle. I want you to stir up your faith. Come on, extend your hands to these up here as they come down here. We're believing for God to do great miracles in their lives. Amen. Come on, I got some more altar workers here on the side of y'all spread out. They have some others here if you want somebody to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're believing, expecting in faith, Lord, in reverence, in all that Lord God you're going to do a miracle Lord God you're a miracle working God you're still in the miracle working business Father I'm believing for Lord God just a touch Lord God to be upon our brothers and sisters right here Lord God come on if you believe for a miracle at LPCC come on just lift up your hand I'm just let's pray for our brothers and sisters there too Father whatever it may be physical mental relational emotional spiritual we pray in Lord signs and wonders and miracles just as we've experienced Lord God here over the last few weeks we're continuing lord as we stand in awe of you believing lord god signs and wonders will follow lord god as just as souls were saved and people were baptized today well Lord god we know it's a miracle we're believing for health healing and wholeness to be upon the lives of everyone on, on at this altar today that's watching online right now father and everyone out here we thank you father god we plead the blood of jesus over them i pray you would be glorified reveal yourself in a mighty way come on let's pray for this men's retreat this weekend we pray for a miracle lord god miracles are just a great encounter of you lord god even though it's not called an encounter we want to encounter you this weekend lord at tall timbers we pray as men you would draw us closer to you closer to each other and we would be the our leader and the men of God you've created and called us to be. We thank you, Father. We love you. We give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless y'all. We love you. Hey, if you had the altar, you hadn't been prayed for, stay up here. We'll pray with you. If you're interested in the missions meeting, 530 at Next Steps. If not, God bless. We'll see you soon.